The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Half a millennium ago today, August 13th, 1521, the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés conquered the Aztec capital of Tenochtitlan. I hope I said that correctly. Those were the days. We have a famous poem about stout Cortés among our Sunday poem summer specials. Hope you'll check that out. The only conquistadors in sight right now are the Taliban marching across the blasted sod of Afghanistan. Will Kabul fall in days or weeks? On Fox News a week or two back, I quoted, and Fox put up an accompanying graphic so you could read along. My newspaper column of March 2nd, 2012, almost a decade ago, quote, six weeks after the last NATO soldier leaves Afghanistan, it will be as if we were never there. We came, we saw, we left no trace. America's longest war will leave nothing behind. That's me in 2012. Boy, what a schmuck I was. Six weeks, six minutes. In fact, through all the years of negotiation with these psychotic goat herds, all the world's most lavishly over-remunerated and most useless general staff of the global superpower, all they had to get them to agree to was this. Look, the jig's up. We're out of here. We know that. But could you please, pretty, 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 please agree not to sack the U.S. Embassy in Kabul before our official date of withdrawal? It just looks bad, you sacking the place while we're still technically occupying the joint. Oh, and can you please not behead our translators on camera? I mean, you know, off camera, what happens in Jalalabad stays in Jalalabad, right? Uh, And we can give you some dough, all the dough we've been uh, lavishing on training the Afghan National Army for 20 years so they could all throw down their weapons and run away in 20 minutes. All that dough we've been lavishing on the Afghan National Army could be yours. That's actually what the government of the United States is pleading right now. Uh, Afghan bank clerks who have the misfortune to be female are being kicked out of the banks of the provincial capitals that the Taliban are taking hour hour by hour and being forced back in their burqas. Here's a headline from The Hill. One of those publications that all the important Beltway insiders read, quote, UN Security... I'll try, to, I'll try to read this without laughing. UN Security Council mull condemning Taliban after group scores military gains. That's rather understating it, that scoring military gains thing. UN Security Council mull condemning Taliban after group scores military gains. Ooh, have they put John Kerry to work on that? That's that's sure to put the fear of God into these polygamous goatards. Um, hmm, uh, let us see. On the one hand, we could cooperate with the fleeing American cur and get some American dollars for things we don't need, like an Afghan education system. On the other hand, we could be perceived around the planet to inflict a humiliating defeat far worse than Vietnam on the alleged global superpower. Hmm, tough call. Let me quote again from that 2012 column of mine. Quote, Afghanistan is about Afghanistan if you're Afghan or Pakistani. But if you're Russian or Chinese or Iranian or European, Afghanistan is about America. And too much about the Afghan campaign is too emblematic. As much as any bailed-out corporation, the U.S. is too big to fail. In Afghanistan, as in the stimulus, it was money, no object. The combined Western military aid presence accounts for 98% of that benighted land's GDP. We carpet bomb with dollar bills. We have the most advanced technology known to man. We have everything except strategic purpose, unquote. And so the fall of Afghanistan is to the rest of the world a story about the fall of America. 
Before the Olympics are entirely forgotten, I'd like to play a heartwarming moment from the Games. The heartwarming moment was supposed to be the participation of the transgender Kiwi Laurel Hubbard. Miss Hubbard was born a man rather a long time ago. She's now a woman d'un certain age, mid-40s. But for whatever reason, despite all the transphoria, she flopped out in the ladies' weightlifting competition. She failed to make a clean lift in the snatch round. (laughs) Stop tittering! It's not in the least bit funny. I'm just reading out of the newspaper report. She failed to make a clean lift in the snatch. I feel an old... Dick Cavett joke for Bob Hope coming on. Anyway, that's not the heartwarming inspirational bit. That came next. Oh, let's have a special theme music. We haven't sung this in a while. All together now. I'm trans woman, hear me roar. I am a woman! That's for sure. I am strong. I am invincible. invincible. I am a one of these men. It takes a lot to resist the trans woman's roar, the school's cave, the politicians, the corporations, the book publishers, the Twitter enforcers, the doctors. The doctors. But the three ladies weightlifting champs, Lee Wenwen, Emily Campbell, Sarah Robles, did not cower before the zeitgeist. Here's a clip from the post-medal press conference. I'll play the first question and then the second. Sports journalism in America is, as Rush used to say, totally chickified. So none of these questions are to do with the three winners' extraordinary accomplishment. But to ask the question, the media eunuch here asks as the second question of the conference, is just an insult. I'm generally in favour of the Churchillian dictum in victory magnanimity. But not here. The nine seconds of silence that you will hear are as eloquent a speech as any Olympian has ever given. Now I would like to welcome and congratulate today's medalists. Gold medalist, Li Wenwen from China. Silver medalist, Campbell Emily Jade from Great Britain. And bronze medalist, Robles Sarah Elizabeth from USA. It's Kevin Farley from the International Weightlifting Federation. This is for Emily. Uh, you went to the United States earlier this year and you trained side by side with Sarah in Utah. What was that experience like uh, then and now when you are competing on the same Olympic stage? Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I was really honoured to be invited out to the States to train with the guys and especially Sarah, you know, we, we get on really well. Um, we're very like-minded people um, and it was just really, you know, inspiring to push each other and um, to get each other ready for these Olympics. And, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled that I managed to share a podium with her because she's, uh, she's a real sweetheart. It was a historic night here uh, with Laurel Hubbard competing as the first openly transgender in an uh, in a, uh, individual event. And I was wondering you know, what you felt about that and what you felt that, that it took place in, in your sport. No, thank you. Sarah Robles, Emily Campbell, Lee Wenwen. What is it the left says? Silence is violence. That was a lot of silence. No Brit wanker copper of the day today because it's wanker coppers all the way down. There appear to be few non-wanker coppers out there in Her Majesty's realms. From the formerly lucky country, Australia, quote, three young mothers have each been fined $1,000 for stopping to talk in a Sydney park. New South Wales police said the women were spoken to and subsequently issued $1,000 fines for being in a group of more than two people from different addresses in breach of the public health order. Oh, here comes more public health. Residents of Sydney require a permit to leave. And we have to register our one allowed friend online (laughs) with the government. Uh, I might register my imaginary friend uh, just to throw them off. 
Uh, if you're thinking, well, it's the end of the world, where do I want to spend it? Maybe you'd like to have one last uh, terrific, fabulous meal. Uh, where would you go for that? How about France? Quote, police in Paris, France, patrolling the streets, checking people's vaccine passes on terraces of restaurants. Oh. Well, that's Paris. That's the capital. What, what about that place all the celebrities go? Oh, here we go. Restaurants in Nice, France are empty as the domestic vaccine pass takes effect in the country. In the saloons of the West, even in Nice, there are to be no last orders. Mark Stein's Poem of the Week. Monday was a mountain day in Japan. Try to contain your excitement. Usually it would be Wednesday, but for some reason the Olympics made them hold it 48 hours earlier. The day is intended to provide, quote, opportunities to get familiar with mountains. Uh, not familiar in the Andrew Cuomo sense. Uh, and appreciate blessings from mountains. Are you in the mood for a mountain-minded poem? I don't know. I'm a bit worn out. Uh, so nothing that requires the old crampons and that sort of thing. Matter of fact, let's just keep it down at the hill level. This is from the famous collection by A.E. Houseman, a Shropshire lad, published at the end of the 19th century and hugely popular, not least with a generation of composers uh, who enjoyed setting his poems to music. Is Houseman still popular. I'm surprised he hasn't been cancelled. He was a distinguished classicist at uh, Trinity College, Cambridge, where his students included Enoch Powell. Uh, but he also had female students and often reduced them to tears and could never remember their names, as a colleague put it. Had he burdened his memory by the distinction between Miss Jones and Miss Robinson, he might have forgotten that between the second and fourth declension. Priorities. The setting of A Shropshire Lad is one of uh, the loveliest of English counties. Uh, Breeden Hill, which we are going to climb in verse, is in fact in Worcestershire. It stands in splendid isolation, as I recall it. Worcestershire, though, is only slightly less lovely, and Breeden Hill affords a spectacular view of both counties, as the poet notes. Uh, when I say that Shropshire is lovely, I should emphasise that I have not set foot in it for many years, and what with the abolition of freedom of travel under the COVID, I do not expect to set foot in it ever again. So if it's now a wash in Telford grooming gangs, I don't want to know. I'll stick with the poet. Clunton and Clunbury, Clunganford and Clun are the quietest places under the sun and the loveliest places in some respects too. First published in 1896 in A Shropshire Lad by A.E. Houseman, Summertime on Breeden. In summertime on Breeden, the bells, they sound so clear. Round both the shires they ring them, in steeples far and near, a happy noise to hear. Here of a Sunday morning, my love and I would lie, and see the coloured counties, and hear the larks so high about us in the sky. The bells would ring to call her in valleys miles away. Come all to church, good people. Good people, come and pray. But here my love would stay. And I would turn and answer among the springing time. Oh, peal upon our wedding, and we will hear the chime and come to church in time. But when the snows at Christmas on Breeden top were strown, my love rose up so early and stole out unbeknown and went to church alone. They told the one bell only, groom there was none to see. The mourners followed after, and so to church went she and would not wait for me. The bells they sound on Breeden, and still the steeples hum. Come all to church, good people. Oh, noisy bells, be dumb. I hear you.
I will come. A poem from Me to You by A. E. Houseman from a Shropshire lad published in 1896 and almost immediately an easy target for parodists, Max Beerbohm, the wit and caricaturist, scribbled in the frontispiece of his copy... Uh, and now, lad, all is over, twixt you, your love, and the clover, so keep a stiff upper lip, and shrink not, lad, nor shiver, but walk you down to the river, and take your final dip. Ezra Pound distilled the houseman vibe thus, Oh, woe, woe, people are born and die, we also shall be dead pretty soon, therefore let us act as if we were dead already. And, of course, there's the best Houseman parody, and one that the poet himself regarded very highly by Hugh Kingsmill. What, still alive at 22? A clean-upstanding chap like you? Easy to parody, easy to parody. But I love the first verses I read of two young lovers bunking off from church to climb a hill and look at the two counties spread out below, where all the grown-ups, whose love can never be as intense and vivid as theirs, are puttering on with humdrum life, and they are lying in the grass in the endless summer of youth. Very hard to evoke that as well as Houseman does, and it touches me more as the years go by. Here of a Sunday morning. My love and I would lie and see the coloured counties and hear the larks so high about us in the sky. High flying birds circling on a lazy summer Sunday. At some point, love has to be languorous, and Houseman conjures that very appealingly. <laughs> Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Lynn Seahorn writes uh, in an uh, email or whatever it is uh, with the subject header, Stand up, Stein. Stand up against election fraud in this country, says Lynn Seahorn. Today, tomorrow and the next day after, until all Dominion machines are thrown away or delete me from your email list. Oh. Well, it looks like you and I will be parting company, Lynn. Uh, first, because uh, I'm not the kind of person who uh, gets told what to do. If you want to tell me what to do, uh, you would have to become a publisher or some such and sign me to an exclusive contract. And that's nothing to do with your particular line of thought, uh, because as you evidently don't recall, when the cumulus executive vice wanker... I used to... He's a senior vice president. I should find his name. I've got it. Brian Phillips. Thank you. Brian Phillips, the executive vice wanker of Cumulus, uh, who ordered his hosts to stop talking about election fraud. If you transgress this policy, said the executive vice wanker, Brian Phillips, you can expect to separate from the company immediately. At that time, I was guest hosting for Rush. And I was carried by cumulus stations in uh, Chicago and Washington, Los Angeles, all over the map. And I called him out and said I wasn't going to be told what I could or couldn't talk about. Uh, and so I kept on talking about election fraud. Uh, and and all, oddly enough, all his actual cumulus hosts, I won't mention them by name. They're the guys with the hard rock bumper music and the easy listening opinions. And they all fell silent. They kept the hard rock bumper music, uh, but the opinions uh, got softer and softer and softer. And they didn't talk about election fraud anymore. Hard rock bumper music, easy listening opin opinions. Here we have easy listening bumper music and hard opinions, because that's the right way round to do it. Uh, so I didn't take it from Brian Phillips, the executive vice wanker at Cumulus, and there's absolutely no reason why I should take it from Lynn Seahorn. And I'll expand on that a little, Lynn, since, as you say, we're going to be parting company. I was talking about election fraud just the other day, too. What day are we today? Whether well, weekend on Wednesday's Mark Stein show, I was talking about it. I talked about it when Cumulus told me I couldn't talk about, talk about it. At a time when, supposedly, Fox News had ordered its hosts not to talk about it, I brought Miranda Devine on and we did a big segment on the so-called fortifying of the election. I had uh, Sidney Powell and Mike Lindell 
on The Rush Show. Um, and she said things about how I'd, I'd given a little intro. So I, I said a little bit about the Canadian aspect of this, which was striking to me. And then Sydney comes on. And Sydney swept aside the Canadian aspect of Dominion Machines and started going on about Venezuelans and uh, the Chinese Communist Party. And then the bit which I, I let her have her say, and I did query this, or I was, I'd never heard it before, so I was interested to hear it, uh, that when you vote on a Dominion voting machine, the votes are counted, as she explained, in Spain and Germany. That, in other words, if you vote in Georgia or you vote in Michigan, your votes are counted in Spain or Germany. She's provided, unfortunately, no proof of that. And as a result, she's now in a hell of a lawsuit. She claimed to have a video in which the head guy at Dominion, uh, which presumably is one of these fellows from Toronto, says he can switch, he can flip a million votes just like that. Mike Lindell said he was going to prove with these, what, what did he call them? P-caps, some sort of internet term. The caps are for captures, I think. Can't remember what the P stands for now, but that would prove the Chinese were manipulating the votes and taking votes away from Trump. And he had his cyber team on this and he offered $5 million to anybody who could prove that what he was saying wasn't true. In the end, his own cyber team couldn't prove this. They said they couldn't make that stand up. Now, my view of the fraud is very simple. You don't have to have widespread fraud. Uh, the left and the courts and the media kept saying there was no widespread fraud. The genius of the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt American voting system is that you don't need widespread fraud. You need narrow spread fraud in six swing states that happen to have hardcore corrupt Democrat cities within them, such as, obviously, Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, which has had extraordinary amounts of election fraud, higher than almost anywhere else in the English-speaking world or the democratic world for 150 years, since the Civil War. Now, this doesn't require any Canadian machines or Venezuelan machines or Chinese machines or uh, uh, German-Spanish machines. All this requires is Americans, specifically American Democrats, willing to do obviously corrupt things such as stop voting at 10 p.m. in the evening, figure out how many votes Biden is shy and spend the night hours acquiring those votes, just as they've always done. As I said, going back to the Civil War, your system is crap. You have election fraud because you have a system that enables fraud. And the minute and, and don't, you know, as I've said so often now since November the 3rd, and which is you know, understandably offensive to Americans, but happens to be true. This is why ever since November the 3rd, the most sense spoken about American elections for me has come from foreigners or from my, mainly from my uh, uh, fellow subjects of the crown from, uh, from various parts of the Commonwealth. And in this case, Steve McIntyre said once, when this thing started going, there was some serious uh, election fraud questions. Steve thinks the election was stolen. He thinks the election was stolen the old-fashioned way by Democrats, Americans, 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 with, with driving around vans with boxes of votes. And Steve McIntyre said, uh, I don't think it's helpful going on about Venezuela and China because the object is to prove that American Democrats stole the election from American Republicans. The minute you get into Venezuela and China, I don't know what some rinky-dink district court judge is meant to do about it. But presumably, if China is so powerful, it can decide, uh, it can get into Fulton County, Georgia, and change all the votes, then presumably it can get into that judge's chambers and change and change whatever decision he makes. So you're screwed all the way down because you're living in the matrix. But we actually, November the 3rd wasn't about the matrix, to see, as Steve McIntyre said. And as I said, it was the, it was the old-fashioned way. It was a, a system that enables corruption 
uh, in which the corruption was more brazen than ever before, and they just went ahead in these six Democrat strongholds in six swing states and stole the bloody thing. Here's, the th- here's my view of Dominion voting machines. I'm opposed to Dominion voting machines, not because they're Venezuelan or Chinese or Spanish-German. I'm opposed to Dominion voting machines, not because they're Canadian, although, as I said, November 4th, 5th, 6th, whenever it was on Rush, I find it very odd that uh, individual Canadian citizens are not allowed uh, to make $10 donations to candidates in U.S. federal elections. But Dominion Voting Machines, a Canadian company, can run the elections in half of America's states. I find, just find that very odd. But that's not why I'm opposed to Dominion Voting Machines. I'm opposed to Dominion Voting Machines because free countries don't have voting machines. Uh, The French tried them and thought they enabled too much corruption. And the uh, uh, Canadians, this is a Canadian company, uh, the uh, head of the elections, uh, the federal election, whatever, in Ottawa, uh, took the trouble to tweet that, oh, you know, people are saying these are Canadian voting machines. In fact, we don't use Canadian voting machines in Canadian federal elections. They're made strictly for export, like uh, Moosehead Beer or whatever it is. You're a chump. If you want me to get into the wanker rights theories about uh, the Chinese PCAPs, you're a fool. I'm not in favour of voting machines because, as I said on November the 4th, I'm for the paper ballot party. Free societies of paper ballots. All this crap, American crap, total American crap, not used anywhere else. And in fact, so at odds with free and fair elections that if some Afro-Marxist basket case were to attempt to try to use all these American things like driving ballots around in the middle of the night or ballot harvesting, Jimmy Carter wouldn't sign off on that election. So Jimmy Carter, the peanut farmer from Georgia, won't sign off on this stuff if an Afro-Marxist basket case does, but it's okay for Jimmy Carter's home state of Georgia to do it. Chumpy, chumpy, chumpy. The moron right. You're losing your country. Chumpy, chumpy, chumpy. Look, here's the right at the present. You've got, you've got ones who say, oh, oh Newt, Newt said this to me on Fox. I was interviewing Newt a couple of weeks back. He goes, oh, you know, in two years' time, Kevin McCarthy is going to be Speaker of the House and Mitch McConnell is going to be Majority Leader. Oh, that's exciting. You mean just like in 2017? I don't think that's going to happen. Stealing the election, not with widespread fraud, but narrow spread fraud, worked. And because it worked, they won't be able to resist the temptation to do it again in the same way, not widespread, but narrow spread, where they need to. So that's one part of the right. Oh, don't worry. Have you seen these numbers? Nobody likes Kamala Harris. Yes, as I said the other day, no one... Uh, is going to discover where it matters, like Fulton County, Georgia. No one is going to discover how much they like Kamala Harris until the early hours of the Wednesday morning, because that's the way it works. That's one group. Then you have the other group on the right, the ones who are just voting for all this stuff, like uh, near half the Republican Senate caucus who voted for the rubbish uh, infrastructure bill with no infrastructure on it. And then you have the delusional right, The ones who don't understand the problem here is the corrupt system that enables Democrats where it matters because they have the better political machines and they've been doing this in some places for 150 years to steal what they need to steal. The Democrat Party is really a uniquely evil party in uh, free societies. Uh, It has, you know, a near two-century history of incredible hate and racism, and there's no reason why, considering all everybody else gets cancelled, why these guys haven't been cancelled. Uh, but apparently they haven't. It's not a complicated thing. American Democrats stole the election in the early hours of November the 4th, and in the months beforehand, instituting procedures Uh, that taking an already rotten, stinking, pathetic, feeble, miserable system uh, that enabled even more fraud. 
and will enable more fraud the next time. And I'll add a a thought here for Donald J. Trump. I gave him a bit of advice back in 2015, 2016, before he wound up in the hands of the usual grifters and saboteurs of conservative ink. You're going to have a hard time staying relevant till 2024, and the rallies aren't going to do it for you. Uh, So if you want to exact revenge, if you're serious about exacting revenge, start early. Find a winnable Florida seat, run for Congress, and who knows if the uh, GOP rouses itself to fight the fraud on the ground, you could be Speaker on the ha- of the House. That'd be different. That'd Nothing like that has happened since post-impeachment Andrew Johnson ran for the Senate. But, but Venezuelans in the voting machines? Pathetic. This is an American problem. You don't need Venezuelans. Keep up to date with the past on The Hundred Years Ago Show with Mark Stein. A governor in the slammer, a king in the hospital, and a bloodbath in Morocco. It's August 1921. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update. The messy aftermath of the Great War continues. The Allied Supreme Council has announced its neutrality in the Greco-Turkish War, effectively abandoning the year-old Treaty of Sèvres that had granted former Ottoman territory to Athens. In another blow to Allied authority, unable to settle the Silesian boundary between Germany and Poland, the Council has referred the matter to the League of Nations. The bloody humiliation of the Spanish army at the hands of Rif warriors of the Moroccan sands continues. After a 12-day siege, the Iberian forces of the Mount Ararat garrison near Al-Arui were routed and General Felipe Navarro y Caballos Escalera and his nine-man staff were taken prisoner. After they had surrendered, 2,000 Spanish soldiers were killed by the victorious Moors. The Spanish cabinet has now resigned. We try to keep you up to date with all these new republics that are springing up hither and yon. The latest is the Baranya Baya Republic, which has been proclaimed on Hungarian territory, bordering the northern frontier of Serbia and currently occupied by troops of the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes. The founders of the new republic are Soviet-style socialists fleeing what they call the white terror of Admiral Horty's regime in Budapest. Bella Linda, the mayor of Pech, has offered them his city as the new republic's capital. Across the border, His Majesty King Peter, last king of Serbia and first king of the Serbs, Croats and Slovenes, has died in Belgrade at the age of 77. His son and heir, Prince Alexander, is in hospital in France being treated for appendicitis and has announced that he will not be able to travel to Belgrade for his father's funeral. It is unclear also whether he will be able to return to take his oath of accession within the constitutionally prescribed time of 10 days. In order to access U.S. aid for its starving population, the Soviet Union has begun the release of American prisoners and turned over six U.S. citizens to the American Relief Administration in Estonia. The Bolshevik government has also announced a partial revocation of its prohibition of alcohol that will now permit the manufacture and sale of light wine and other beverages up to 28 proof alcohol. There is little to eat, but unlike America, you can at least have a drink on your empty stomach. 
Lord Bing of Vimy has arrived in Canada aboard the steamer Empress of France and taken up his office in Ottawa as the Dominion's new Governor-General. Will we see a Governor-General in Dublin? Prime Minister Lloyd George has released the correspondence between himself and Eamon de Valera, the leader of the Irish Republicans, Sinn Féin, containing the government's peace proposals for John Bull's other island. Mr Lloyd George's plans offer Southern Ireland dominion status equivalent to Canada or Australia with complete authority over all domestic affairs and only defence and foreign policy reserved to London. In response, Mr De Valera says he wants, quote, an amicable but absolute separation of Ireland from the United Kingdom with the status of the new polity of Northern Ireland to be determined by a plebiscite of all Irish voters. Even as the so-called Republican Parliament, the Dáil-Éireann, is in session at the Mansion House in Dublin to weigh the peace proposals, Mr Lloyd George has reiterated that recognition of an Irish Republic is not in his gift. A permanent partition of Ireland is starting to be presumed. Up north, the new government has purchased for £15,000 Stormont, the handsome castle in the Scottish baronial style, intended as the seat of the new Parliament of Northern Ireland. In the United States, Illinois Governor Len Small has been arrested at the executive mansion in Springfield on charges of embezzlement while he was the state's treasurer. Sangamon County Sheriff Henry Mester came to the gubernatorial residence and took him to the local courthouse where the judge set bail at $50,000. I'd rather be a private than a colonel in the army. A private has more fun when his day's work is done. And when he goes on hikes, in every town he strikes, girls discover him and just smother him with things he likes. But girlies act so shy when Colonel passes by. He holds his head so high with dignity. So would you rather be a colonel with an eagle on your shoulder or a private with a chicken on your knee? Would you rather be a colonel with an eagle on your shoulder or a private with a chicken on your knee? Well, not if that chicken is federally regulated. President Harding has signed into law the Packers and Stockyards Act, authorising the Federal Trade Commission to regulate any company engaging in interstate shipping of livestock, livestock products, dairy products, poultry, poultry products and eggs. In my sweet little Alice when I first wandered down in the town, I was so proud and shy as I filled every eye, but in every stop window I trimmed. Alice was wearing a white gown, it seems. The president's father, Dr. Tryon Harding, has surprised the White House by unexpectedly marrying his longtime nurse and secretary, Alice Sevens. They drove from Marion, Ohio, across the Canadian border to Windsor, Ontario, for a marriage license, but were refused because they did not meet the new requirement of three months' residency. Dr. Harding and Miss Sevens then motored to Monroe, Michigan, where they were more successful. It is Dr. Harding's third marriage. His first wife, the mother of the future president, died in 1910. Dr. Harding divorced his second wife in 1916. His third wife is younger than her new son, the president. Mr. Harding's predecessor, former President Woodrow Wilson, is back practicing law. He has hung the shingle of Wilson and Colby at 1315 F Street in Washington. His partner in the new firm is the former Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby. Last year's unsuccessful Democrat vice presidential candidate, Franklin D. Roosevelt, is reported to have been taken ill at his summer home on Campobello Island, which is part of the Canadian province of New Brunswick, but located just off the main coast from Lubeck, the easternmost town in the United States. Mr. Roosevelt is said to be suffering from fever and facial paralysis, 
and other serious-sounding symptoms, but his doctor says it's just a summer cold. I was growing very fond of Molly When along came Ruth, along came Ruth I thought an awful lot of Dolly When Ruth came along, my head began to merry-go-round I almost married Polly I was making love to May When along came Ruth And to tell the truth She stole my heart away Along came Ruth And an hour later a Catholic priest is dead At the hands of a Methodist pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, Father James Coyle, an Irish Catholic, had just married Ruth Stevenson to Pedro Guzman, a Catholic from Puerto Rico. Miss Stevenson is the daughter of Pastor E.R. Stevenson of the Southern Methodist Episcopal Church and an enthusiastic Q. Klux Klansman. Uh, just an hour after the wedding... Pastor Stevenson arrived and fired three shots at Father Coyle on the porch of the rectory at St. Paul's Cathedral in Birmingham. In sports news, the Schneider Trophy for flying boats and seaplanes has been won at Venice by Giovanni de Briganti in a Mackie M7 flying at an average speed of 117.9 miles per hour. The SS Moordijk of the Holland America Steamship Line has set a new world speed record, completing a voyage from London to Los Angeles in only 24 days and 12 hours. There will be no more races for the 1919 U.S. motorcycle champion Albert Shrimp Burns. He survived crashes that would have finished lesser men and this very season had been severely injured and riddled with splinters from the new wood track at Beverly Hills, California. Nevertheless, he rallied to compete in the day's last race on a borrowed cycle and with his arms fully bandaged, and he won. There was no such triumph over the odds at Toledo, Ohio. He came out of a turn badly, crashed into another motorcycle, and then hit the railing, sustaining massive head injuries. His fiancée, Miss Genevieve Moritz, had come to Toledo with a belated birthday gift and witnessed the crash. Albert Burns is dead just two days after his 33rd birthday. Colonel Samuel Pom Colt was the rubber baron who founded the United States Rubber Company, the nation's largest. He is dead at 69. Harriet Prescott Spofford was a prodigious writer of gothic romances told in luxuriant language of intense emotion and intimate sensuality. It was a unique style and not to everyone's taste, as Miss Emily Dickinson once remarked, I read Miss Prescott's circumstance, but it followed me in the dark, so I avoided her. Harriet Prescott Spofford is dead at 86. And that's the way of the world, August 1921. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. This is Mark Stein, and on Stein's Song of the Week this Sunday, we have a standard that could serve as the very theme song of Serenade Radio, our credo, our national anthem, should we ever become a sovereign state. It's the perfect summation of what we're about, but we get there via Champion the Wonder Horse and Gene Kelly playing tennis. No, not with Champion, although they may have played doubles with Sid Charisse and Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Stein's Song of the Week, Sunday afternoon at 5.30. And 5.30pm London time is half past noon on the North American East Coast, 9.30am on the West. So it's a Sunday brunchy kind of show in the Americas. Hope you'll join us. How about something a little hearty and healthy for our belated Japanese Mountain Day observances? Everyone thinks this is an ancient folk song. But in fact, the tune was composed after the Second World War by Friedrich Wilhelm Müller. 
His sister ran a children's choir in northern Germany, and one day in 1953 they came to Wales to take part in the Llangollen Eisteddfod, which happened to be broadcast on the BBC. And when listeners heard this, they loved it. Uh, you know the English words, I love to go a-wandering along the mountain track, and as I go, I love to sing, my knapsack on my back. But it was the original German children's choir singing in German who had the monster hit in Britain over six months in the top ten, peaking with five weeks at number two, the Obernkirchen Children's Choir sing De Frolicke Wanderer, The Happy Wanderer. Children's Choir, and a smash hit record from 1954. The choir contained many war orphans. That's to say they were the children of German soldiers. And yet a mere eight years after the end of the war, German soldiers, German children, singing a German song in the German language, was a blockbuster hit in Britain and around the world. They were on the Ed Sullivan Show in America. From the outbreak of war to VE Day, six years. From VE Day to putting your enemy at number two on the hit parade. Eight and a half years. Now we take two decades to lose to goat herds with fertilizer. And there are no songs, no music. I love to go a-wandering along the Afghan track. And I don't sing, I've got an IED in my knapsack. I'll see you right here for tonight's exciting installment of Jack London's Burning Daylight. And we'll have a full complement of delights over the weekend. With Mark Stein's Passing Parade, Rick McGuinness at the movies, and lots more Valdera Valdery. Stay safe, stay free.
Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved. <laughs>